take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and understanding the love of God, that which has been given to us at Christmas. And so we're able to spend for the next couple of weeks some time in Romans 8, certainly not in the, the right order. We're going to go to the end, to the, the payoff of all that is led there, and then using Romans 8, the, the first two sections of the chapter for our old years and our new years understanding of that which is ours in Christ, no condemnation, but also now that future, that wonder of glory that he continues to prepare for us. But first, these words, Romans 8, we will read verses 34. Well, actually, let's start reading in verse 31, and we'll take for our text then verses 35 through 39. Where Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's seek his blessing in it in prayer. Lord, we ask, open our hearts to receive your word. Ready our hands and feet to act upon them. Father, apply these words to us, not to those who we think might need to hear them, but to us. And so, Lord, may your spirit move powerfully in the proclamation of your word. May you use the gifts of the broken man before this people, Father, to speak truth, not in himself, but in the power and unction of your word and Holy Spirit. Father, would you meet us by your word? Would you not leave us unchanged by it? And may we go forth to the service of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, no matter the kind or the quality of the love that we have or experience, we always seem to question it. No different than we receive a, a gift at Christmas and we start asking, well, can it really do all that it says? Can it do all of that slicing and dicing? Can it really do everything that it's been advertised to do? We're skeptical people. We question the gifts that were given. And so too we question love. We raise our children, telling them often how much that we love them, showing it in thousands of expressions of care, only to have them get into that joyful teenage year shouting it through slammed doors, I don't even know if you love me. I don't know if you've ever loved me, Dad. My kids have never done that to me. We struggle with this. We question it. 
We question love and relationships. Do they really love me? Will they always love me? We question love, this thing that is amazingly awesome. We question it because we don't remember what others have done to show love. We forget the promises of love that have been made. But we can also tend to question the love we receive because sometimes actions that look like love are really actions of selfishness. And so we become jaded. We start questioning motives and intentions. We question love because promises are broken. Because lies are told. Because hearts are broken. And so when we talk about lighting the candle of love, or as we consider the love that we wait at Advent to receive, ours at Christmas, and in the person and work of an incarnate Savior, it would seem like we still find ourselves in that place. That we're still questioning that love. That we're still questioning His love. Jesus, could you really love someone like me? Will you always love someone like me? Will he love me even when I sin? Even when I'm broken? Even when I hurt others? Even in some of those moments of my life that look way more like darkness rather than light? Will he love me then? Yes. Yes. For those found in union and communion with Jesus Christ, the answer is always yes. But we still question it. Yeah, that's fine. We read that in the scriptures, but but how? How how can he love me when terrible things are going on in the world? How can you say that to me when terrible things are happening in my life right now? How? How? Because his affection and love for you has never changed. Not even in those hard things. Not even in those difficult things. And so on the one hand, we've no need to question the love of God we've received in Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet perhaps today to understand the gift, we have to question it a little bit that we would grow in an appreciation for it and a knowledge of it, and a thanksgiving for it. For as we've read in Romans 8, in fact, we're we're not alone in that kind of questioning. It's been the questioning of the church from the beginning and hearing of the wonder of the gift of Jesus. It's the questioning that Paul builds in using toward our text. If your Bibles are open, look again, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How has God shown you his love? How has he given it to you? Paul keeps repeating himself. How has God showed his love? He is for us. He justifies us. He's died for us. He rules over us. And so, Christian, will that love continue? Yes, it's been given to you. 
That's what's given you in His Son. And more nothing will ever separate you from it in Christ Jesus. So if you're sitting here this morning questioning the love our God has given us on this Christmas Eve, let's take some time together to remember what He's done and what He's promised and what He's given in His Son. For in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we receive the fullness and the assurance of His love. That is His gift to us in Jesus. And that love belongs to those in the love of Christ who receive the only source of their comfort in verses 35 through 37 and who receive then an ongoing conviction to live out of in verses 38 through 39. But in Jesus, we receive first the source of our only comfort because as Paul seeks to give his answer, again, we're still questioning what we've received as though we don't know what this gift is, but more if we're always going to have it. As though God is going to be some kind of giver who says, oh yeah, you can have this and, and now I'm going to take it away. I mean, kids, we'd hate that, right? Hey, here's the present you've always wanted. Nope, psych. We're not going to try to bring that word back, all right? We, we take it away. That would be awful. That would be the worst gift and the worst giver ever. But that's what we accuse God of. Will it always be mine? Will you always love me? And so we usually question that on the basis of our sin and doubts. How can he love this? How can he love me? We question that love on the basis of what's going on. How can he love me when all these things are happening? But in considering what Christ has done and what he's promised, we're forced to consider what we've done, what we are, and what's happening in the light of God's plan and purpose. And that's a question we don't always ask. Because again, we're, we're so busy wanting to, to respond or, or to have to have a reflex that we that we don't take time to consider who he is and what he's given and what he's promised. It's what's so striking in this text that Paul doesn't first use the question, what? Because that's where we go. What is going on? What are you doing? But he starts with who? Like to, to move through all of those other questions to resolve in the most important question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can keep me from him? For God is love. Can I separate myself? Can anyone else? No. Which is why you can have comfort. That's the basis. Not even my sin kept Jesus from coming. Not even my sin kept Jesus from giving himself for me. Look back at Romans 5, 6-8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one scarcely will die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we receive at Christmas. 
That's the nature of the gift. Not just receiving a baby, receiving a sacrifice. The greatest display of love. Given in one born to die. Giving himself a ransom for many. Giving himself an all, once for all, atoning sacrifice for his chosen. And yet after saying all of that, of hearing that, since we were this high until however tall we are now, we question him and the quality of his love and the caliber of it and the beauty of his gift. What are you doing, God? What have you done for me lately? What are you working in my life? How can we do that knowing that he loves people like us and has done and given all things to have us just because he loves us? It's the wonder of the gift. We can't separate us ourselves from his love. He doesn't separate us from his love. No one can. So that Paul, without writing it, can move to another question concerning that comfort to make it known. This is the one. Because instead of a who, now he's moved to a what. What shall separate us? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's the stuff of our angst. When we start thinking about those questions, here's the charge we bring. Look at the what, God. Look at all that is going on. When we consider the love of our God and Savior, this is what we say to Him. How can He love me when I'm walking through afflictions? When my life is turned upside down? When I'm attacked for my faith? When I don't believe I have enough or have been given enough? When I may lose everything? When I might even lose my life for your sake? We fix on the what without remembering the who. And if any of these things could separate us from our only comfort, from the love of a good Savior, what a weak and impotent love His would be. That's not what we celebrate. That's not what we've received. Can any of those things separate us from the love we've received in the Savior? No. No, as hard and as difficult as all of those things are, none of them can change the experience of that which Jesus has accomplished for us. None of it. Not anything you could add to that list. Nothing. But what they can do, rather than just driving us to question Him over and over again, and question the love that he's given is to drive us again to the wonder of it. You love me even in that. And all that seems broken and hard and difficult and hurtful. You're still loving me. He loves us enough to bring us to them and to bring us through them. That's the wonder. 
He loves us enough to remind us that these things are going to be a part of our life. That's the, the heinousness of people who proclaim any kind of prosperity gospel. Oh, you start believing in Jesus, everything's good. Everything's going to be awesome. Look at all those cars you're going to have in your garage and the house you're going to live in and all the money that you're going to have and all the life. Nope. No, he loves us enough to remind us that these things will be a part of the life of the believer, not because he doesn't love us, but because each and every person and each and every circumstance will be used by him to serve as a reminder that he does, that he loves. And that's why Paul answers from these words in Psalm 44. It's written in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And the psalm is an interesting one to link because when, when Paul does this and the other writers do this, there's a link then and an anchor to the back of, of the substance of the psalm or to that story of which is being recorded. And so here, the psalm, Psalm 44, speaks to the believer's experience of blessing. That's the first part of the psalm. But then there's that same bit of angst in the middle and towards the end. Because it's an experience of woe. And so the psalmist is forced to figure out, what is this comfort like? What is this love that is mine that I know I have in a faithful God? And so he questions, Psalm 44, verse 17, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with a shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our hearts. And now comes the the verse. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That it wasn't about them. That it was about the Lord. It was about making him known and his comfort known, and his steadfastness known. That the Lord in his love, in his love brings us to those sorts of moments. In his love. So that we would again turn to him and to a comfort only received in him. It's like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And it's even the answer in Psalm 44 too, verses 25 and 26. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to help us. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The Lord uses all of that. All of those who's and all of those what's. All of our questions. To bring us back to him. Back to our comfort. Back to our hope. 
that we can respond in asking, can anyone or anything separate us from God's love in Christ? No. And here it's almost like you want to hear Paul yelling, no, no. He's not going to let that happen. No, in all these things, in every bit of it, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not only can they not separate us or make us doubt those things, but they serve to shout our victory. These things are my glory. These things are my praise that I bring to a God who loves me and has given himself for me. More than conquerors, there is no more assured or confident way to speak. We are more than victors because of God's power to work all things for our good and for his glory in what he brought upon his son to furnish us with that very guarantee. That's how much he means it. That's how much he keeps his word. That's the love that he has given. That we would be more than conquerors and more than victorious, not because of anything we have done, but because of his mercy known to us and the victory of our Savior. One oppressed for us and afflicted for us, led to the slaughter for us, oppressed and judged for us, stricken for our transgressions, forsaken by the Father for us. And he did all that so we would know and receive and live out the victory now and forever. In a love in which we will never be forsaken. So it means that as those who have received that kind of overflowing abundance from our Lord, of the love of our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, we've every reason to not question His love, but instead to take heart and live in it. It's like Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's overcome all the what's and the who's could bring. For he is our peace. The one who eternally reconciles us to the Father, who restores us to life together, who has given us a life to live in every one of those ups and those downs, fully assured of the comfort and the love that we have received. So that Paul can write in Ephesians 5 verse 2 and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is a fulsome and only comfort given to those found in union and communion with our Savior. And that is what you are called to today. That's what that word calls you to in repentance and faith.
Because the Father loved us so much that He gave His only begotten that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall not be separated from Him, but have everlasting life. That comfort is what we receive at Christmas. Let us be thankful for it, not questioning it, but then live that. Live that salvation in the source of an ongoing conviction because the text doesn't stop there, and that's a good thing because, again, what does that look like? What does living that out mean as those who have received this love and this comfort What reminder has Paul already given of what's now ours? And so a preview of what's to come, at least preaching-wise, but look back at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our experience. This is our victory now. This is the guarantee that is ours now that we may live in freedom and righteousness for His glory. It's mirrored in the blessing that John gives in Revelation 1, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, it's the promise of much the comfort of much, the assurance of much. But are we sure of it? So we've talked all kinds of awesome things, but are they yours? Even in hearing our great comfort in Jesus Christ, we still question it because we're still struggling to get past those who's and what's of our life. And so do we truly know Him? Do we truly know what we've received in the love of Jesus, in His words, in His actions, in His promise, and in His reign? We struggle for such assurance. Yet it's ours, hear this, as we're found not having a righteousness of our own in the Savior. All of those other who's and what's Heaven separated you from his love or the righteousness that he's given you. You're secure. You're free simply to live a life of thanks. And that, and that alone is why Paul can write in verse 38, for I am sure. Because it's not about him. It's not about all of those other things. Paul was persuaded of these truths by God, by his word and spirit. And now he brings to the church at Rome and to us that same conviction. One that does not change and must not change. One that is firm and fixed forever in Jesus. An assurance found in a past gift and action. One that continues even to this day and forevermore to have an incredibly powerful impact. Because Paul is sure of victory. That's our struggle, right? Well, there's still battles going. You have victory. Yes, there are skirmishes, but he says, I've overcome the world. 
Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. It's been done. It is finished through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in that conviction, Paul is sure. Nothing can change God's purpose. Nothing can change God's plan. Nothing can change God's promise. Nothing. Hallelujah. I can't, and you can't, and nothing else changes it. Nothing you can think of, be anxious about, or be afraid of can change his intention and his indescribable love for you. Nothing. Nothing can remove you from the greatest of his gifts in his son according to his electing love and his tender mercies. Nothing. And if you're still trying to question that, Paul gives you the list. He doesn't leave anything out for, I am sure, That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Here is Paul in that conviction saying, what can man do to us? What can stuff do to us? In death they cannot touch our soul. In life we have all things in Christ. There's no angel who can lead me astray of the gospel. No demon who can't be rebuked at the name of Jesus. There is nothing happening in my life now or ever that will move me away from this assurance in a firm and steady anchor. There's no power of hell. There's no scheme of man that should have me doubt the conviction of my assurance. If I rise to the heavens, he is there. If I descend to the abyss, even there, his hand will hold me fast. There is no who or what that can separate us, nor anything else in all creation. That's what we've received. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul repeats it for himself. And he repeats it for us to reassure us of the conviction that is ours in that very gift, that love he has given. He's chosen, he's predestined, he's called, he's justified, he's sanctified, and he will glorify us. So if that's what we've received, then let's live that. Let's live that. And let's serve out of that. Let's live out of the conviction that nothing can separate us because of the love of the Father and the giving of His Son. And because of the love of the Christ in the giving of Himself. And in the love of the Spirit in making it known to us. But that means you must be found in Christ. You must be found in Christ. Because the only hope and comfort and assurance and surety is Christ. It is an exclusive way of love. It is only in Jesus. There's no other way to know it. There's no other way to have it. There's no other way to receive it. 
There is no other way to know love or comfort or assurance or peace now and forever. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate this love. And that's why we announce his coming to you that you would receive more than just the story of a baby, of a nativity scene, but that you would receive a Savior which is Christ the Lord. For he will save his people from their sins. That is the ultimate love. The ultimate gift. The one we receive the moment we first believe. And the one we find our assurance in forever. For from that love, in the working of the Holy Spirit by faith, nothing will ever separate you. It's an impossibility. And so if that is our truth, and His love is the only source of our confidence, why keep questioning it and doubting it instead of living it passionately and boldly? Nothing that's come is coming or will come will ever be able to change the Christian's identity, standing, hope, comfort, or assurance in the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So rejoice in that and sing that and be thankful for that and live that as a testimony of His goodness and greatness and glory. You have no reason to question or doubt because of the one given you. And so live that conviction that allows you to meet each moment, no matter what may come, in His love in the comfort and assurance that that same love will abide and continue and remain. Because in the incarnation, we have received the fullness of assurance and love. What grace and blessing is ours in Him. So don't question it or doubt it. Just believe it. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the comfort that it brings, for the love that you have given us in Christ. Father, we confess to you just how often we question your love. In all the what's and who's of this life, Father, we, we doubt. We turn our face away from it even, thinking that you have been terrible to us or no good to us or that there should have been a better way for us. But nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing that comes. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for that gift that allows us to meet this day. And a day of celebration tomorrow. And the next day after that. And all the days that you might afflict us. But, Father, your faithfulness is great. And your steadfast love is amazing. And your mercies are new every morning. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to know that love and rejoice in that love. To know a love of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And so, Father, would you hear our prayers? Would you continue to bless our gifts more than just the offerings that we provide? Father, living sacrifices made holy, knowing that they are loved. In Christ alone, in whose name we pray, amen.